BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Boy, what a day. A couple of days ago, Donald Trump told us all that in a few days, something big is going to come that's going to keep me in the White House for four more years. It's not a verbatim quote, but it's the essence of what he said. And a lot of us kind of perked up our ears. I talked about it on the air yesterday. What could that be? You know, I mean, it's like my guess, actually, particularly after a, a caller yesterday pointed this out, was that there are 306 Democratic electors who will be voting for Joe Biden, and they are all just average individual people. And I was wondering if Trump just, you know, threw a few million bucks at a detective agency to do deep dives into them and find out if he could, you know, threaten them or bribe them or something like that. That's a real... I mean, you know, I was really stretching, right? I mean, that's kind of a crazy conspiracy theory. So what could it be? Well, it turns out we just learned. We just learned Ken Paxton. Now, first of all, who is Ken Paxton? Ken Paxton is the uh, Attorney General of Texas. He's also, since 2015, for five years, has been under indictment for federal security uh, fraud charges. He has been delaying and delaying and delaying, and now he's got a whole new set of criminal indictments against him, or criminal charges. Eight of his top deputies saying that they, quote, believe he broke the law by using the agency to do favors for a political donor, and the FBI's investigating that. So this guy's a crook, right? He's the attorney general. He's the chief law enforcement officer of Texas, and he's a criminal, or at least an accused criminal, an accused criminal under investigation by the FBI. And I mean accused as in already indicted, which means a grand jury has heard the evidence. They have said, yes, it looks like there's a crime here. A prosecutor's come forward and said, we're going to throw this guy's butt in jail. And I'm guessing that Ken Paxton figures his last chance to stay out of jail is Donald Trump who hands out pardons very easily and who could call up Bill Barr and say, hey, you know, that prosecutor, you know, that FBI investigate, you, let's just stop this stuff, right? So Ken Paxton is the guy who did it. And the it is he just filed a federal lawsuit before the Supreme Court asking Amy Covid Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch et al., to overturn the election because, he says, in four states, just by coincidence, the the four states that basically gave Biden the presidency, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, that each one of those states, as did many of the states in the United States, tweaked, changed, recalibrated, whatever word you want to use, but uh, changed is the word that Paxton is using, changed their election laws to accommodate people because of the coronavirus. They extended the amount of the length of time for early voting, or they uh, expanded the capability of mail-in voting, or, you know, things like this, right? They made it easier for people to vote. Oh, my God, Republicans hate it when you make it easier for people to vote. The entire Republican crusade since 1980, since Paul Weyrich got up there in Dallas, Texas, in that church full of uh, Christian Republican activists, and said, 
that, you know, he was talking about our good government Republicans. He says, they want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by the majority of voters, and, and they never have been in the United States. And frankly, our leverage in the election goes up as the voting populace goes down. Now, this, of course, is because the Republican Party, if since 1980, and, and I, I, I think you can make the argument this goes all the way back to 1870, or 1875 anyway, but the Republican Party is the party of rich people. It's the party of billionaires. It's the party of giant corporations. It's the party of multimillionaires, period, full stop. Now, they've brought along some, some you know, a whole bunch of haters, you know, men who want to control women's reproductive rights. Well, even women who want to control women's reproductive rights of other women. They have brought along, you know, the gun nuts. They've brought along the racists. Nixon's Southern strategy is still in effect the authoritarians sucking up to police, things like that. But, you know, those are just like basically the suckers who go along with the Republican Party. But uh, Paxton is filing this with the Supreme Court. And there's actually a chance that the Supreme Court could pick this up and that the Supreme Court could rule in favor of Trump. And God only knows where that leads us. Now, the chance is probably small, It's probably very small, but there's no doubt in my mind that this is what Donald Trump was talking about um, when he said that, you know, something big was coming and it looks like it's here. This is just breathtaking. You know, the the Republican Party, I mean, we have seen this repeatedly throughout history when a political party or a government ultimately decides that they exist solely to serve the the interests of the wealthy and the powerful, of the billionaires and the corporations. And the people catch on, and that party or government starts to lose popular support. Invariably, they turn to authoritarianism and police violence. That is absolutely the direction that they go. And we saw this when Ron DeSantis sent state police with guns drawn into the homes of Rebecca Jones, uh, this woman that had worked on compiling COVID statistics for the state. And when she was ordered to lie to the people of the state of Florida about how many people were getting sick and how many people were dying, she refused and DeSantis fired her. And so she started her own COVID tracking Florida coronavirus dashboard. So, you know, this is DeSantis going all authoritarian goon. We saw it when Donald Trump committing multiple felonies that you or I would have gone to prison for when he called up governors and state legislators and others and said, please flip the election results and people in charge of the elections, the secretaries of state. You don't do that. It's a crime tampering with elections. We see it in Michigan where the Macomb County uh, Republican Party seems to share a postal address with the uh, right-wing so-called Stop the Steal group that showed up to try to threaten and with guns to threaten and intimidate the Secretary of State and her four-year-old son as they were preparing to watch the Grinch that stole Christmas. We saw it when Republicans were, you know, wearing swastikas and carrying Confederate flags invaded the Michigan State Capitol and then tried to kidnap and assassinate Gretchen Whitmer, the governor. We saw it when Lindsey Graham yesterday said to Georgia Republicans that if they don't support Trump's brutal authoritarianism and crimes and coup attempt, they're not going to get Republican votes. I mean, threats and violence are the new coin of the realm in Republican land. And, you know, because the GOP only serves great wealth back in the spring, I believe it was March, I believe it was April, excuse me, but maybe May when the Fed created $7 trillion out of thin air and used it to buy corporate stocks and bonds, bringing the stock market back up and keeping it on a trajectory, it's now at record levels. When that happened, the Republican Party said, well, rich people are good now. Screw everybody else. And Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate have refused to pass any, A-N-Y, any legislation that has to do with, you know, helping average people. And John Cornyn came out and said, well, you know, we want limitations on liability for employers. In other words, we want to make it illegal for workers to sue their employers for killing them or harming them. And we're going to hold that hostage for any money that goes to average people. John Cornyn, senator from Texas, just came right out and said it.
Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? Hello, Tom. Nice to always talk with you. And speaking of the lawsuits in the Supreme Court, so Trump passed to flip all the like three or four different state elections to go for him, and then magically he'll become president. But on, right, which uh, is why Cornyn is challenging the election. Although, hang on just a second, yep. Jared. Trump never hit 270 electoral votes. So if they can take those four states off the table altogether, which appears to be what this lawsuit is calling for, not give these states to Trump, but rather don't count the electoral votes from these states, then what happens is neither Trump nor Biden have 270 electoral votes. And then the election goes to the House of Representatives, where you've got 26 states controlled by Republicans and only 23 or four that are controlled by Democrats. And uh, Trump becomes president based on the House of Representatives. So that's 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 the strategy. That's how they're trying to play it out. Back to you, Jared. Okay. Well, that definitely is not happening because that would disenfranchise literally tens of millions of people's votes. But I'm calling about the Trump cult. I think there is like a one percent chance of it happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they if they would have tried to put it closer to five percent. But yeah. But yeah, here's how I view Trump and the Trump cult. Basically, it's kind of like Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan. They were kind of like they were doing very well up until, you know, like, you know, Germany, like they were just, you know, they were conquering all these territories and everything like that. And they just, they drove through France and Japan, like they were just storming through, you know, all the Indonesia and uh, the Philippines. And they were just winning these huge victories in Hong Kong and Singapore. But eventually, the thing was, they were just really, really lucky. And that's what Donald Trump was. He was really lucky in 2015. He rode a wave of anti-establishment fervor. He got $6 billion worth of free media coverage. He had made himself a celebrity by running around saying Obama wasn't an American for four years or whatever which nobody talks about anymore for some reason. And then he got in there through the Electoral College because he happened to win like a couple states by a couple thousand votes. And now everything is falling apart around him. Because, you know, like at the end of the day, you know, fascism is not based on reality-based thinking. It's based off imaginary delusional thinking. That's why Japan attacked the United States, which was... Japan had an economy that was 20th the size of the U.S. economy. It was completely insane to attack the United States, but they did anyway. Well, they attacked us because we cut off their oil. They they were on the verge of going down in flames. Yeah, yeah. Well, they had to retreat from China or go to war, and that's what they chose. Right. Yeah, yeah. Jared, spot on. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for the call. Stick around. It's the Tom Hartman Program, the place where smart people get their news. <laughs> I mean, this is this is how insane these people are. First of all, just to recap, Ken Paxton, the accused, multiple accusations of criminal activity under indictment for securities fraud, and the attorney general of Texas, all of the above is the case. And he's now being accused by eight of his people with interfering in the legal process on behalf of a big donor, which, by the way, Bill Barr appears to have done, too. Caterpillar used to be one of Bill Barr's big clients. Caterpillar had a big federal action coming against it. Bill Barr had uh, apparently, according to the reporting, had said, don't pursue Caterpillar. Right. I mean, this is just what Republicans do, right? They're all about the money. They're all about the billionaires, the big corporations, the multimillionaires. So that is the strategy. Ken Paxton filed this lawsuit with the Supreme Court, asking them to hear it immediately, saying that because these four states... Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania changed their rules slightly before the election to make it easier for people to vote during a pandemic. Their votes should be taken off the table. And if you take their votes off the table, Trump never hit 270. He never hit the number needed to become president. But if you take those, the votes of those four states off the table, neither does Biden. Which means that under the Constitution, under the 12th Amendment, which is the strategy, you'll recall back in March, I was telling you about conservatives I knew in D.C. who were telling me that Trump was going to use the 12th Amendment to stay in the White House. 
I wrote an op-ed about it in, in uh, I think it was March 12th. It was published on uh, Alternet and Raw Story and whatnot. And he's, he keeps coming back to this. Because under the 12th Amendment, it gets thrown into the House. And the House of Representatives, you know, there's, there's more states, and it's, each state has one vote. And there are more states that are controlled by Republican delegations or Republicans in their House and Senate back home. There's some conflict in the Electoral Count Act of 1887 on this. But in either case, the Republicans win, and Donald Trump gets to be president for four more years. And I don't think there's zero chance that this will work. I think the chance is small. I'm reluctant to assign a percentage. I said 5% to Jared from Pennsylvania a little bit ago, but, you know, it might be higher than that. I just don't know. If the Supreme Court takes this case, suddenly the probability of this succeeding, this effort succeeding, jumps up to 30 or 40%. So that's what's going on. But back to this issue of the Republican cult. Over on DemocraticUnderground.com, which is a blog that I read every day, Red State Blue Girl posted on Monday about a friend who works at a hospital in Florida. And so this is kind of secondhand information that I'm sharing with you, but I, I trust it. She said that she's lost three patients that she directly cared for in the last week. And two out of those three patients, this is, again, this is Florida, the, the home of the Trump cult, right? Or one of the homes of the Trump cult with Ron DeSantis in charge, lying to his people about COVID. I'll just quote from the post. She says, when she called them to tell them that their loved one had died, they told her that COVID was a hoax, that it was like the flu, that it only kills old people with pre-existing conditions. She said, in both cases, they're more concerned with what the death certificate said than with losing their loved one. One family hired a lawyer because they insisted he died of complications from diabetes, not COVID. He was on a ventilator fighting COVID for nine days. She says, these people are flat out members of a cult. Spot on. So this is how we deal with it in the United States. Somebody tries to keep track of how many people are getting sick with COVID or how many people are dying with COVID. And Ron DeSantis, you know, comes into their house with guns and points them at their children. In Taiwan, I mean, that's state power. Taiwan's using state power also. In Taiwan, if you just came into the country, you've got a quarantine for 14 days. And they've got, just in this one town, they've got 56 quarantine hotels. This is Koshung City with 3,000 rooms. And this one guy stepped into his hallway for eight seconds. You're not supposed to leave your room for those 14 days. He stepped into the hallway for eight seconds. The guards saw him, and he was fined $3,500 for violating quarantine. Taiwan got their first case of COVID the same day we did, January 20th. We have, we're we're closing in on 300,000 dead people in the United States. Taiwan, which has about a tenth of our population, but it's a substantial size, or maybe a fifth of our population. They have had seven deaths since January 20th. Not yesterday, since January 20th, seven deaths. The Republicans are cultists. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. And it gets even worse. I'll share that with you after the break, and I'll pick up your phone calls. Stick around. We'll be right back. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. 
cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. On the science revolution this week, COVID has made it excruciatingly obvious that the Republican Party has devolved into a sort of wealth-worshipping death cult devoted only to rich people and big corporations who in turn fund their campaigns. Ellen Montgomery with Environment America is here on the Trump administration's rush to open Anwar to oil drilling. This could be catastrophic. Dr. Mark Plotkin with the Amazon conservation team drops by about healing the forest inferno. We need conservation of the Amazon in the face of fires and the pandemic. Tune into the science revolution wherever great podcasts are found. Well, Jeff Tiedrich always says it right. One of the uh, people I regularly follow on Twitter. No one could have predicted, he writes, that the party of Nazis, mall creepers, compromised Russian assets, pedophile wrestling coaches, blackout drunk rapist judges, concentration camp fanboys, and bonesaw murder apologists would also be the party of democracy-hating election meddlers. Well said, Jeff. And I caught both these over at DU, by the way. Rose Movement tweets, uh, Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascon just ended cash bail. This is two hours into his term. He was elected, right, in the election. He's been L.A. District Attorney for two hours. This is what happens when you elect good people, competent people. He ended cash bail. He ended the death penalty. He ended sentence enhancements. In other words, you know, well, it's a whole long story. He ended solitary confinement. He ended trying children as adults. And he ended the criminalization of homelessness, mental health, and addiction. That's what a good district attorney can do. Uh, This is a a city-level thing. But, I mean, this is just nuts. Meanwhile, Scott Gottlieb, the guy who used to be the uh, commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration... He says, uh, yeah, it's true. The Trump administration turned down Pfizer's offer for 100 million more coronavirus vaccine doses several months ago. Today, they're vaccinating people all over England. And it's free. It's the National Health Service. It's free. Show up, get a shot. Hey, no big deal. I mean, they are doing certain groups first and all that kind of thing. But here, (laughs) we don't have enough vaccine to go around because Trump didn't order it. We don't have enough infrastructure to handle it because Trump didn't coordinate anything. You know, back in April when it came out that more black people were dying than white people, Jared Kushner and Trump apparently decided, eh, let them die. We can turn this into political hay. It's amazing. Angela, New York City. Hey, Angela, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. You know, I was going to give myself a break from the news today, but I decided to just turn into your show, just one show today. And then I hear from you what's going on with this attorney general in Texas, and it's just extremely frightening. I know you said that you feel that there is a zero percent chance or a low chance. No, of, I don't think it's zero. Coming of this, but it's a small. Well, small chance. But I, you know, this is something that I've said to you before, and something I've been just, you know, thinking and telling people about for the past oh god, couple years. We know him here in New York, and Trump will do anything to stay in power. And this is kind of what I was afraid of. This is kind of what I was afraid of, what his move was going to be in order to stay in power. And the thing is, why is no one fighting back? Why is no one countersuing? Why is Biden not doing anything? Or what is going to be the game plan? Well, we don't know that they're not yet, Angela. I mean, he just filed this lawsuit. And, you know, Paxton is under criminal indictment right now. I'm betting, and I think that we may find the evidence of this after Trump leaves office, that Trump basically offered Paxton a bribe, that he would get him Mm -hmm. off if Paxton would take this lawsuit to the Supreme Court. Back to you, Angela. Yeah, but I'm just, I'm very concerned about the steps he's going to take. And as he said, I mean, Trump himself said, I think last week, that a lot can happen between now and January 20th. And this is something that's really been on my mind, and I feel like not enough is being done. And also everything that's going on around the country, it's just turned into an authoritarian state. I mean, it's just insane. And I, again, 
it really is frightening. And while people are happy about the Biden administration and they're happy that we won the election, they're happy to think about a new administration coming in. And I want to see that. I don't feel like people are taking the threat seriously enough. And, you know, that's all I have to say about it. I just wish people would. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Angela. This is serious stuff. I do, however, believe that the Biden administration is all over this right now. But, you know, uh, we'll just have to see where this is going. But uh, we've got a serious cult here and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a a death cult, a Republican death cult. Angela, thank you for the call. I hope your day gets better. (laughs) Thank you. Lauren in Mesa, Arizona. Hey, Lauren, what's up? Hi, Tom. You were asking if any of us knew anybody who had gotten out of the cult. Uh, My sister Mm -hmm. and I did. We were raised in it. The reason that we were able to get out was our education. We went to Mm -hmm. college. Having been fully indoctrinated, we were taught to hate Muslims. We were taught to give them dirty looks in the grocery store for anyone in a hijab, that sort of thing. Well, Mm -hmm. we got to college and we started interacting and meeting the people we were taught to hate. And they were really nice people. And the other thing that happened Most was we learned are, about logical yeah. fallacies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was, uh, you know, we were so isolated growing up that we never got to meet people outside of our little circle. So college was a very yeah. eye-opening experience. And the logical fallacies that we learned about as part of our education, that's how we started figuring out that a lot of the things we were being told just didn't add up. You know, Lauren, the Republican Party has for 40 years now overtly, explicitly, intentionally, aggressively tried to prevent people from voting. It's fairly obvious why that, why, you know, why they're trying to do that. But they have also oh, yeah. tried to prevent people from going to college. In 1980, yeah. you could go to college. You could go to a state university. I mean, I, I didn't graduate from college. I went both to MSU and to Lansing Community College, and I didn't graduate from either one. But in both cases, I to the extent that I worked my way through college, I did it working at a gas station, changing tires and pumping gas. I did it working at Bob's Big Boy as a dishwasher and occasionally as a cook. These were minimum wage jobs. And I was able, with a minimum wage job, to pay college tuition and pay my rent. As I recall, my rent on my, I had a little one-room apartment across the street from MSU on Grand River Avenue. And my recollection is it was $30 a month. I I mean, you know, $30 is a lot more money back in, this would have been like 1967 back then than it is now. But still, I could do that. And then came Reagan and all of the changes that he made. And now, you know, uh, I I mean, uh, I know people who are hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, you know, just to get a law degree or a medical Mm -hmm. degree and over $100,000 in debt just to get an undergraduate degree that they thought was going to get them a good job. And 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 in many cases, you know, after 10 years of paying off your college debt, you end up even more in debt. So maybe your story is why the Republicans don't want anybody who's not rich to go to college. I think so. And uh, talk radio, Rush Limbaugh, Michael Savage, they often warned about the liberal college professors and discouraged people from going to college. Yeah, yeah. Uh, presumably for the same reason. Lauren, thank you for mm-hmm. sharing your story with us. That's, that's brilliant. Margie in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. Hey, Margie, what's up? Hey, Tom, I've got a question regarding this Texas suing the other states. No, the, Texas legal? is not suing the other states. They're asking the Supreme Court to intervene, but they're not specifically going against these states. They're asking the Supreme Court to take this action. What legal standing do they have? What's their legal justification that they have standing to sue or to, to take this to court? They're not an aggrieved party. That's a very good question. I would guess that they would say that as a state in the United States that by having the wrong president in the White House, they're being, they, they will be harmed when Joe Biden is sworn in, you know, having a, quote, illegitimate president. But I haven't read the lawsuit yet, so I, I don't know. It is on Trump's Twitter page. Oh, it is? The, the lawsuit? Okay, I'll have to yes. check that out. Are you an attorney, Margie? No, I'm a truck driver from Wisconsin. Uh-huh, but you know about standing. That's great. As- <laughs> No, I'm just living in one of the states that's affected by this as a person who has very good friends who helps run the elections. Yes, this affects me greatly. Yeah. So you have standing. 
There you go. Yeah. Uh, Margie, thank you for the call. That's a great question, and uh, hopefully we'll thank learn the answer soon. Thank you, and thank you so much. And that, and that you know, if it, if it gets uh, thrown out by the Supreme Court, or thrown out is the wrong phrase, if it doesn't even get, if the Supreme Court refuses to grant cert, uh, Satori, if they, if they gr- refuse to say, yes, we'll hear this case, probably standing will be one of the main issues. listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. In which case, Trump is going to need the attorney general of one of those four states to come forward. And I think that's unlikely. But we'll see. Bob in Spokane, Washington. Hey, Bob, thanks for listening to KRYS. What's up? Hey, Tom. I'm just uh, another voice pushing him back against the Republican genocide, you know. I saw on the BBC that they're they're reporting that people not wearing their masks is going to cost the U.S. economy a trillion dollars. And it got me Mm -hmm. thinking. Already has. So I called up my representatives and told them to vote against this blanket immunity. And I'm I'm asking other folks, call up your representatives. Tell them we don't want a blanket immunity for these killer businesses. It's uh, Yeah, this is is what John Cornyn vote with our dollars. Yeah, this is what the Republican senator from Texas, John Cornyn, said, and I quote, It's clear the Democrats want additional state and local money, and Republicans, by and large, are asking for some common-sense liability provisions, and those are coupled together. In other words, this is, you know, you you give the the Democrats want some money for average working people, the Republicans want some protections for employers against being sued when they abuse their employees, and so, hey, let's make a deal. I mean, it's just it's just uh, disgusting. It's well, yes, yeah, sir. My my son uh, spent thousands of dollars to make his business uh, uh, acceptable to the health department, and because of people not wearing masks in his community, he shut down anyways. So it's not every oh, business; my. it's just these people yeah. that refuse. And I think we should have a a way up, uh, a name and shame campaign to hold these public employees and these businesses that are openly refusing to obey the mass mandates uh, accountable. If people know who they are, we don't have to uh, patronize their businesses. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, when you look at what Taiwan has done, I mean, literally in the entire year of 2020, the entire friggin' year of 2020, Taiwan was one of the first countries hit with this virus. Uh, same, you know, we got our first diagnosed case the same day they got their first diagnosed case, January twentieth, and uh, you know, the, and they shut it down. They said we're not going to have this, and they have had seven people die since January twentieth. We have seven people die every couple of minutes. I mean, we're literally we've got a person dying every thirty or forty seconds in the United States right now. This is where we're at. So uh, what, what kind of business does your son have, Bob? Uh, he ran a, an art gallery and a tattoo parlor in Florida. And, in Florida. And his, uh, yeah, and, and he's he wiped out. Yeah, oh, he's shut down. And, uh, you know, not to diminish the deaths, right? Uh, yeah. What these Republicans hammer on all the time is how much this costs, how much this costs. These people are costing our economy. Uh, hundreds of billions of dollars, right? And they're not being held accountable. And public employees we a, that we're paying uh, are doing this to us. Right? And uh, uh, yeah. that's what I got to say. And uh, thanks for your show, Tom. I'm with you, Bob. Thank you very much. Yeah, this, I mean, this is, this is just nuts. We have lost over 1 million small businesses so far. And of course, this is going to be a great opportunity for big predatory businesses to swoop in and say to a landlord, hey, you used to have a local restaurant in this space, and you have nobody now, so you're not getting any rent. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll put a TGI Fridays in there, or you know, some national chain, right? We'll put a Ruby Tuesdays in there. But uh, we'll only pay half as much rent. And the landlord, <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, this is, this is, you're going to see more consolidation, more big business after this. In other countries, they're actually paying small business people directly, not here. George in Portland. Hey, George, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I was just wondering, how does Safe Harbor Day play into this 12th Amendment thing that you're talking about? I don't think it'll have anything to do with the lawsuit because the soft deadline, you know, the Safe Harbor Day is the day that states are supposed to have certified their electoral results. In the 2000 election, they hadn't, or Florida hadn't anyway at that point, and their electoral votes ultimately got countered. 
So I don't think that this is going to be, uh, I, I don't think it's going to affect the lawsuit at all. Thanks a lot for the call. Lloyd in Framingham, Massachusetts. Hey, Lloyd, what's on your mind today? How you doing? And thanks again for being on air for so long. I've been listening to you for a long time. Yeah, um, 18 years now. Yeah, it's, it, you do a fantastic job. Um, I've got a couple of things I want to say, see if I can do it as quickly as I can. First, I've been a banker for 40 years. I've worked for Bank Boston and Citizens Bank, and I've even worked for the Small Business Administration uh, during the George Bush Sr. era. And in all my years, what I'm seeing now, I'm still active. And I'm a commercial loan underwriter. And what I'm seeing now is actually there's nothing except for 2008, 9, and 10 that comes close. We are about to hit a wall that is as big as Mount Everest. And the amount of small businesses going under, I know, I've been hearing all types of percentages. And to tell you the truth, if there isn't help out there, the way it's done in Europe, where it's direct, we're going to be seeing really the dismantling of our economy, of our local economies. Main Street will die. We're already uh, seeing it, Lloyd. Main Street yeah. is dying oh, yeah. right now. Right. Yes. That we've, is I mean, we've lost true. a million small businesses that we've documented, which means that there's probably two or three million small businesses that are gone. I think when this is all done, as much as half of the small business landscape might be wiped out in the United States. And I, I mean, think it's at, just mind at least and, that, and, yes, and it's I just it's it. just going to and the and the big businesses see this as an opportunity, you know, just just like during the Great Depression. There was massive consolidation of wealth during the Great Depression because, you know, uh, cash is king was the phrase back in the 1930s. And it was true. Right. You know, a, a small business couldn't afford to pay their rent. They couldn't afford to pay their people. They went out of business. The larger businesses that had a ca- that had cash reserves, they'd come in and and, uh, you know, uh, take over that lease or pick up that property or whatever it may be. And uh, we are seeing this right now, but I think we're going to see a massive acceleration of it over the next year. I agree. And the other issue that I want to say, I've, I've been a Democrat all my life. My family's been Democrats, you know, forever and ever and ever and all that stuff. And, and I've been an elected local official, you know, for 12, 14 years in, in uh, Massachusetts. I grew mm-hmm. up in New York, New Jersey, though, grew up in Teaneck, New Jersey, and my father had a business in New York, uh, covered all five boroughs. And from the 1980s forward, you know, knew all about the Trump family and Trump and how he went after every single mayor without exception and got huge tax breaks, which I'm, I know you're aware of, on all of his mm-hmm. properties. And the point of that is he is telling everybody what, what he's done his entire life including in Atlantic City, where now Atlantic City, I think, still is in uh, what's receivership. It receivership. Yeah, the town, the city is actually in receivership. He's not going to leave the White House. He's not leaving. He will be forced to leave. His end game now is to get to the Supreme Court. He can't get it through the states. He's doing it every way possible. That's where it's going. He's going to keep pushing until the water reaches that level, that low. Yeah, it's a two-step dance. And I'm, if you've been listening to this show for the last and you know, I do. eight, ten months, you know, back in March, I was telling people, Republicans in D.C. are telling me in March of this year that Trump was going to use the 12th Amendment. He was going to get the Supreme Court to somehow knock down, you know, whatever the vote was and throw the election to the House of Representatives where he knew that, you know, the Republicans would put him back into office. And sure enough, this is what he's doing today. And I agree. And again, thank you for such a great show. Thank you, Lloyd. It's great to hear from you. Thank you for your kind words. Just to recap, uh, Ken Paxton, under multiple criminal indictments, for securities fraud and now being charged by eight of his own employees with doing uh, basically being bribed by political donors. Ken Paxton, the attorney general of Texas, under criminal indictment, needing help from Donald Trump and Bill Barr to stay out of jail, has filed a lawsuit with the U.S. Supreme Court saying that because Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania 
in Georgia changed their election laws before the election to accommodate the coronavirus or accommodate voters who were, you know, affected by the coronavirus, their electoral college votes should be thrown out and the election should be thrown to the House of Representatives. Crazy. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Let's see here. Mike in Pontiac, Michigan. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Yeah, that lawsuit from uh, Texas and the Supreme Court, I was reading mm-hmm. about that, and it says that these states, through executive fiat or friendly lawsuits, this is a quote from the, the lawsuit itself, weaken mm-hmm. the ballot integrity. They didn't do their homework because Michigan in 2018, we passed a, a constitutional amendment to make it easier to vote by mail. <laughs> Hmm. So I, and we didn't. But, but there were no. We, we didn't. Quote, go on. There were no tweaks or changes to that that happened just in the year 2020. Nope. Nope. The hmm. constitutional amendment passed in 2018. We now have absentee ballot on demand. We don't have to have an excuse, basically. Yeah. To vote absentee. Well, you know, and, um, Mike Flynn did not succeed in uh, changing U.S. foreign policy, but he got pardoned. And Paul Manafort, and I mean, you know, a bunch of these people didn't really succeed in everything. Actually, Manafort did. He made Trump president. But it could be that, you know, Ken Paxton is so desperate to get a presidential pardon that he'll even throw a, uh, a wackadoodle uh, lawsuit at the Supreme Court that is doomed to fail just in the hopes that Donald Trump will acknowledge him and give him a pardon. It seems anyway to me. I mean, it seems like that's a really high possibility. What do you think? Yeah, probably. It just because it just doesn't make any sense that you would and really not have any facts. You just throw this out there, you know. And that's the other thing that's hurt them all along anyway, the fact that they have no evidence for anything. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. you Mike, you, thank you for the call. Robert in Mesa, Arizona. Hey, Robert, what's up? Uh, yes. I just had a question. If all of this, say, were to go through and Trump were to succeed, and they say that January of 20, you know, he's still the president. What legal recourse do we have? And the second question I got is, Greg Palast revealed that 198,351 voters were purged from, illegally purged from the Georgia rolls, and yet I've heard nothing on any other station except Free Speech TV. Yeah, which is bizarre uh, because, you know, the ACLU is suing. This isn't just Greg Palace, the the American right. Civil Liberties Union and and a bunch of other folks in, in the state of Georgia are suing to have those 193,000 people put back on the voting rolls. And, of course, you know, the governor, Brian Kemp, he's the one who took them off when he was secretary of state. Now he's governor. He's fighting tooth and nail to keep from putting them back on. And it's not, a, it's a case that does There's not word one on NBC. NBC, CBS, ABC, there's not word one. NPR. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I mean, the things that get covered and the things that don't get covered. Um, you know, for example, Bernie Sanders came out against the Senate deal that, that uh, Mitch McConnell is selling. And he said the reason he was opposed 
was uh, because of the limits on liability. All the headlines said Bernie Sanders opposes it because there's not enough money for working people. Um, I mean, that was one of his concerns, but the major one was the limits on liability. Nobody wants to talk about it because the news media doesn't want to get sued by their employees either. Anyhow, to answer your first question, Robert, if Trump hangs on to power for another four years, we will no longer be a Democratic Republic at the end of those four years. Probably not at the end of the first year. Thank you. By the way, during the break here, I read not all of, but probably 30, 40 percent of Ken Paxton's lawsuit. It's actually fairly long and detailed going state by state. And I was wrong earlier when a caller said, you know, Paxton is uh, Texas is suing uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and Georgia. Um, That's actually who they are suing at the Supreme Court. And they're quoting in the lawsuit. They're quoting Bush v. Gore as establishing the basis for this, and they're quoting Neil Gorsuch and uh, and Sam Alito, as I recall, in the lawsuit. I mean, this is just you know doing. They've inserted all the language that would get the right wing justices to go more. So I tweeted it out. A link to the PDF of the entire lawsuit, and in my tweet I said, you know, if anybody out there is an attorney. And uh, you want to take a look at this and let me know if you think there's any, any here here or there there. If these guys have standing, if you know what the odds of this uh, succeeding are, I'd love to hear from you. So I'm going to you know, keep track of my Twitter feed during the breaks and, and throughout the afternoon today. And, um, you know, we'll see where we go. Anyhow, back to your calls. Lewis in Wayne, Pennsylvania. Hey, Lewis, what's up? Hey, Tom. I have a quick report about all the businesses closing here in Wayne, which okay. is a, a pretty upscale place. And uh, I went out to walk the dog yesterday and walking through town, it's one after another closed uh, businesses for lease signs. As in permanently? Starbucks is closed. <laughs> well, so, being closed and being I, out of business are two different things. Are, are you able to distinguish between the two? And what's the, what's the population of Wayne, Pennsylvania? That's a good question. I don't know the population, but these places are closed. Baskin Robbins, which is locally owned, uh, it's been closed for a while. Oh, Um, yeah. Okay. So I was thinking, wait a minute, a big chain wouldn't go out of business, but a local franchise owner could easily go out of business. Right, right. It's uh, it's it's those places. This even you know, the Starbucks is I guess is owned by the franchise. But yeah. And across the street from the Starbucks was one of these other chains. Even the chains are going out of business. It's surprising living here to see that. Yeah, yeah. It, it is, and it's happening all over the United States. It's, this is a, uh, a small business uh, death spiral that uh, we're not going to recover from quickly. Lewis, thank you for sharing that story with me. Marco in Los Angeles says here you disagree with me, so you go to the front of the line. What's up? Well, where I disagree is I'm um, a Republican. Are you there? I am. Why are you okay, a Republican? I'm sorry. I- yeah, I'm a Republican conservative. You say you're exposing why? the con. Why? Because we are the party that were opposed to slavery. We were opposed to DNC spend, spend, spend policies. We are the first party about protecting the environment. Our party is rooted. Are, the Marco, GOP. are you are you serious? Yeah, the GOP. Yes, you know, Abraham Lincoln was a Republican and he ended slavery. I'll give you that. That was 150 years ago, 170 years ago. But, you know, you're saying that the Republican Party is the party of the environment, and yet over 100 environmental, major environmental regulations have been rolled back in the last four years. Our air is dirtier. Our water is dirtier. Donald Trump and the Republican Party have worked aggressively to deregulate polluting industries. How can you possibly say that? How I can possibly say it is because when you go to Ronald Reagan being the start of all of this downward spiral, it actually was Lyndon Johnson who led us into Vietnam. Do you know what the national debt was when Lyndon Johnson became president? I know what the national debt was when Ronald Reagan became president. It was $830 billion. And when he left office, it was $2.4 trillion. He tripled it was, Ronald Reagan, it, one guy. 
in one presidential yeah. term. And he did it because he was following Jude Wininsky's advice, which was published in the Wall Street Journal in 1976. He called it the two Santa Claus theory that Republicans needed to become the tax cut Santa Clauses. So when a Republican is in the White House, cut taxes like crazy on rich people, spend money like crazy, particularly on the military, run up the national debt so that when a Democrat comes into office, which inevitably will happen, you can start screaming about the national debt and use that to cut social programs like Social Security and welfare programs. I remember that quite well, Marco. But where it started was we were $330 billion in debt when Lyndon Johnson took office. That Marco, I will give you that the Vietnam War is on Lyndon Johnson. I hated Lyndon Johnson. I, you know, I, I got arrested twice demonstrating against Lyndon Johnson. Hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? You and I agree on this. That said, Lyndon Johnson also passed the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act over strong objections of Southern Democratic conservatives and those Democrats in the South, like Strom Thurmond, they all became Republicans. While he was killing one to four million uh, brown people in Southeast Asia, do not... I agree. Stop. Okay, but I was in the military then. I was drafted, and I, I had, as a president, someone who I found out lied to me. I am still living with that awfulness. So Me too. Anybody, I'm still pissed anybody, off at LBJ. So I, so I am opposed. But to what does that have to do with today? And why does that make you a Republican? I can get it. You know, OK, you were betrayed by a Democratic president who lied to us. George Bush lied us into a war in Iraq. Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11. Where it is. Uh, can we agree I, on that, Marco? Oh, absolutely. But where I have issue with you is, for instance, when you um, call this nation a democracy, you go on and on about that. We are not a democracy. James Madison said democracy was the most vile government in the world. You know, Ben Franklin said it's two lions and a lamb talking about what's for dinner. Jefferson is reported to have said it's 51% against 49% riding herd over them. That's what has happened with our Senate. What you have today that you're arguing about the Republican Party is totally accurate, but it's not our foundation. If you and I could have this conversation, because our party was founded in Thomas Paine the original of Thomas Paine's common sense. There is no common sense to either the DNC-run Democratic Party or what is today the vile Republican Party. I agree with you there. But your conversation, 11 years with Bernie Sanders, whatever you're doing with Mark Pocan, as I listen, and, and Ro Khanna, it is conversation, words that are not accurate. There's the issue. Well, tell me, tell me one thing, one thing, please. That I've uh, aside from our our disagreement about the use of the word democracy and, and republic, I will give you: we are not a democracy. We're also arguably not a pure republic. We are a limited. We are what Thomas Paine said: we are a Republican representative democracy. The democracy Republican part form is, of government was the was the phrase that was used back in the day, back back by the founders. You're absolutely right. And Madison made the decision to not use the word democracy and to trash the word democracy. Prior to the 1770s, the words democracy and republic were interchangeable. And Madison made that distinction. You're right. And but, the uh, but, but the I would say that we are we are constitutionally limited. It limits the power of government representative. We elect representatives, unlike the Greek democracy, where it was chosen by lots. Constitutionally limited representative democratic because we hold elections. Democratic generally means you hold elections and the majority wins in the elections. Republic. I'm with you. Marco, I'm sorry. I, 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 don't, I don't have control over the brakes. And, and it, we hit these brakes and, and I, I've just got to run. But, you know, call again and we'll continue the conversation. It's good to hear from you. Thank you very much. Hi, it's Tom Harbin Book Club. And today we're reading from What Would Jefferson Do? And this is from the chapter Warlords, Theocrats and Autocrats, Aristocrats Rise Again. The subchapter Theocrats Attack Democracy. And the uh, epigraph that we started the chapter with is from uh, President Abraham Lincoln. 
where he said, I am approached with the most opposite opinions and advice and by men who are equally certain that they represent the divine will. I hope it will not be irreverent of me to say that if it is probable that God would reveal his will on such a point so connected with my duty, it might be supposed he would reveal it directly to me. So the subhead of the chapter, America is a Christian nation. No, it's a nation where a lot of Christians live. And I read about Judge Moore and his Ten Commandments thing and his statement that, you know, America was founded in Christianity and, and then proceed to share the founder's actual view on this. Our founders were both well-schooled in the history of the Crusades and knew from firsthand experience with Puritanism how oppressive religious men could be even with small amounts of political power. Ben Franklin fled Boston when he was a teenager in part to escape the oppressive environment created by politically powerful preachers. And for the rest of his life, he was openly hostile to the idea of a secular power being wielded by those who hold also religious power. Although he was fascinated by the spiritual experience, Franklin had little use for the organized religions of his day. In his autobiographical Toward the Mystery, he wrote, quote, I have found Christian dogma unintelligible. Early in life, I absented myself from Christian assemblies, end quote. In his autobiography, Franklin talks about how he came to this way of thinking, quote, My parents had early given me religious impressions and brought me through my childhood piously dissenting in the Puritan way. But I was scarce 15 when, after doubting by turns of several points, as I found them disputed in the different books I read, I began to doubt of revelation itself. Some books against deism fell into my hands. They were said to be the substance of sermons preached at Boyle's lectures. It happened that they wrought an effect on me quite contrary to what was intended by them. For the arguments of the deists, which were quoted to be refuted, appeared to me much stronger than the refutations, and I soon became a thorough deist." End of quote. Franklin, like most of the more well-known founders, was a deist, subscribing to a philosophy made popular by Unitarians who held that the Creator made the universe long ago and has since chosen not to interfere in any way, excuse me, that neither Jesus nor anybody else was divine, or alternatively, that we are all divine, and that there is only one God and not three. Another founding deist who resisted giving political power to those with religious power was George Washington. Jefferson's diary entry for February 1st, 1799 reads, quote, When the clergy addressed General Washington on his departure from the government, it was observed in their consultation that he had never, on any occasion, said a word to the public which showed a belief in the Christian religion. And they thought that they should so pen their address as to force him at length to declare fidelity, whether he was a Christian or not. They did so. However, Jefferson noted, the old fox was too cunning for them. He answered every article of their address, particularly except that which he passed over without even notice. Jefferson concluded that Washington, quote, never did say a word on the subject in any of his public papers, and that Governor Morris... A close friend of Washington's has often told me that General Washington believed no more in that Christian system than he himself did, than Governor Morris did, end of quote, from Jefferson. In fact, President George Washington supervised the language of a treaty with African Muslims that explicitly stated that the United States was a secular nation. The treaty with Tripoli worked out under Washington's guidance and then signed into law the next year by John Adams in 1797, reads, quote, as the government of the United States is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion, as it has in itself no character of enmity against the laws, religion, or tranquility of Muslims, and as the said states never have entered into any war or act of hostility against any Muslim nation, it is declared by the parties that no pretext arising from religious opinions shall ever produce an interruption of the harmony existing between the two countries, end of quote. But for the founders, this wasn't just an issue of being Christian or not. They didn't want any organized religion, mixing its functions with government. For example, on February 21st, 1811, President James Madison vetoed a bill passed by Congress that authorized government payments to a church in Washington, D.C. to help the poor. Faith-based initiatives were a clear violation, in Madison's mind, of the First Amendment doctrine of separation of church and state and could lead to a dangerous transfer of political power to religious leaders. Caring for the poor was a public and civic duty, a function of government, and should not be allowed to become a hole through which churches could reach and seize political power or the taxpayer's purse. Funding a church to provide for the poor would establish, in Madison's words, a legal agency, a legal precedent that would break down the walls of separation the founders had put between church and states to protect Americans from religious zealots gaining political power. 
Thus, Madison said in his veto message to Congress, he was striking down the proposed law because it helped a church to, quote, provide for the support of the poor and the education of poor children of the same, which, Madison warned, would be a precedent for giving to religious societies. That would be giving federal funds. Now, uh, things have certainly changed since then with the faith-based initiative program that started under Reagan has now exploded. But anyhow, the book is What Would Jefferson Do? Christopher in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Hey, Christopher, what's up? Hi, how are you doing? Uh, my question is three questions. One is uh, next week when the Electoral College meets, does that pretty much end all the shenanigans that Trump can try to do to steal the election? Second question is, um, if the state legislators try to uh, send an alternate set of legislators to the Electoral College, would that require the governor's signature, or could they just do that by themselves, or would they have had to pass that law? Depends on the state. Before, depends on the state, okay. And the last question is, what can we do to in the future to make sure that no future president can do these type of shenanigans? Because this is ridiculous. You know, I that's mean, that's really I, the question that's at the heart of the whole thing. And what we need to do, Christopher, is we need to end the Electoral College. The Electoral College. Oh, I, I, is, I agree with that forever. I agree. I mean, Biden's up seven yeah. million votes. But you do think you do think there's no way Trump can flip this election at this point. Not without the help of the Supreme Court. And that's the Hail Mary pass that Ken Paxton threw out. And a lawyer on Twitter, I posted the entire uh, lawsuit on Twitter, and I said, are there any lawyers out there who can speak to standing? And uh, lawyer Sam said, number one, it doesn't look like Texas has an injury. But on the other hand, the Constitution says that the Supreme Court is the first court you go to in a dispute between the states. And this is a lawsuit against these states by Texas. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm holding my breath here on this one. Uh, Christopher, thank you for the call. And thanks for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy ain't a spectator sport. Right? It, and neither is being a citizen in a republic. Uh, it requires all of us. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be nice to somebody. Today. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.